0: Good morning, Central Church. How you doing? Awesome. Hey, if you're joining us uh, online this morning or watching us on Fox or if you're uh, watching from our downtown campus, we want to welcome you especially. Hope you uh, just really have an awesome experience this morning. Uh, So for those of you here in the room... Maybe some of you already experienced this this morning. I, I've been at this church for 24 years and I thought I'd seen it all, but today something happened that I, I have never seen before. The Oscar Mayer Wiener mobile is in our parking lot. I, 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 I don't even want to know why. It's okay. I don't, I don't know if he's given rides or what. I'm not sure. No idea. But now I'm hungry. Uh, so if you're new with us, I want to explain this uh, piece of paper you got when you walked in the door. Uh, the, go ahead and, and tear this off here at the perforation. This wide portion has got some announcements on the back. It's a place for you to take notes um, in the next few minutes. The narrow portion is called our communication card. It's a chance for you to, to let us know uh, who you are. If you're new, you can fill this out. Um, We also have a a digital version of our communication card. Uh, You can go to uh, our website, centralsf.org. I think we're going to bring that up here. There it is, centralsf.org slash com card. If, uh, If you feel like we won't be able to read your handwriting or whatever on this, you can do it digitally. Also, there's a place to share prayer requests. We love to pray for you. Uh, and, and we do so as a staff team every week. And there's other uh, opportunities for you to, to consider there. So go ahead and, and check that out. And then go ahead and drop that in uh, one of the boxes on the, on the doors, along with any financial uh, offering you have on the way out the doors today. So about two weeks ago, uh, my family and I moved to a, to a new house um, to, to a different town, even. We moved to Brandon. Any Brandonites? Yeah? Is it Brandonite or Brandonian? I have no idea what you call yourselves. I'm new. Um, it, so we, we, we love our new place, but we, we were in our old house for five years, and uh, we loved our neighborhood, and, and we became really close with our neighbors. But in the chaos of the move, We just didn't have a lot of time to actually say goodbye to these people who had been a part of our lives for for five years. And so we found out uh, just on Thursday that one of our neighbors was having this shindig in his backyard. And so so we went to our old neighborhood um, and it was great to be able to see our old neighbors and to just say goodbye and to tell them how much we would miss them and and value them. Uh, Now, there have been 5,000 people moved to Sioux Falls in the last year. And it feels like half of them landed at Central. And so many of you can relate. Uh, many of you have had to say goodbye in the last little while. And goodbyes are important, right? They close one chapter in our life and, and allow us to move on to the next chapter. Uh, they, they allow us to kind of tie up some loose ends relationally and to express to people how we really feel about them. Now, along with, with most of my extended family, both sets of my grandparents lived in my hometown, Melita, Manitoba. And so uh, a couple times a year, my wife Jenny and I would pack up the kids and we'd make the nine-hour trek north um, to visit and mostly to show off how cute the grandkids were and how much they'd grown and all that fun stuff. Um, but my Grandpa Brown was just, he was so fun. He was this big goofball. It was like having Mr. Bean in the family, just a clown. But like most men in his generation, he wasn't very expressive when it came to things that, are, that were sentimental or, or sappy or, or real, um, real heartfelt. And so it really surprised me one time when we were about to leave their place. We packed up the minivan. We were pulling away from my grandparents' place. And my grandpa came out and he waved and he said, I love you. And I turned to Jenny and I said, that is the first time I have ever heard him say that. And it was also the last time. Because a few months later, he had a massive stroke and he died. Goodbyes are important. Some people in history have done a really good job of saying goodbye. After 52 years of military service, General Douglas MacArthur gave a farewell speech to Congress, concluding with, Old soldiers never die, they just fade away. After 20 years of public service, including serving as the first president of the United States, George Washington wrote a letter to the American people basically telling them, reassuring them, you're gonna be just fine without me. But he also warned them about the dangers of political parties, about the dangers of foreign alliances, and of trying to be a moral nation without being a religious nation. And of course, in Toy Story 3, (laughs) after more than a decade of being Andy's favorite toy, as Andy drives away to college, Woody says goodbye with a simple so long partner. Now, we're on the home stretch of our series in the book of John called The Life. And for about a month or so, whether you've noticed it or not, we've been covering Jesus' farewell discourse. After three years of ministry, uh, Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to a close, and he had invested heavily in the lives of his disciples over those three years. And he loved them so much. And so as the time of his crucifixion quickly approached, it was time to deliver some parting words. It was time to say goodbye. So after the Last Supper and washing his disciples' feet, beginning in John chapter 13, Jesus teaches his disciples some final important lessons. He talks about his relationship with the Father he talks about his relationship with his disciples and how they could abide in him and know what it meant to depend on him. And he warns them about persecution. He tells them, hey, I'm gonna leave, but it's better for you that I go because the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will come and be with you and empower you. He will give you what to do and he'll give you the power to do it, you're going to have trials and sorrows, but your sadness will be turned to joy. And that's where we pick it up today. Uh, After this vital teaching, Jesus closes his farewell discourse by turning his eyes toward heaven and talking to the Father. And it's not just a God bless us everyone, you know, put a nice bow on things type of a prayer it's an entire chapter. It's the longest recorded prayer in the Gospels, and, and it reveals a lot about Jesus' priorities and his passion. So go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 17. If you have your Bible, just grab, uh, grab one that's in the, the chair in front of you or, or pull up the Bible app on your phone. And we're going to experience this prayer a little differently Uh, than normal as as you're looking that up uh, i want to explain something this is called jesus high priestly prayer because like a jewish priest jesus is interceding he's praying for on behalf of people and like a priest making an animal sacrifice to cover the sins of the people jesus is about to make the ultimate sacrifice to cover the sins of the world I didn't want to stand up here and just uh, recite 26 verses. And so we're going to watch and listen to, to this scene from the Visual Bible's Gospel of John. So feel free to, to follow along in your own Bible. But, but this video, which we're using with permission, uh, is from the Good News translation. So if, if that's an option on your Bible app, you can, you can use that translation if you wish. Now, But as, as you're reading and, and watching and, and reading and uh, listening... Keep in mind that we're getting to sit in on an intimate conversation between God the Son and God the Father. Jesus is praying for his disciples, for the church, and for all future believers. So if you are a Christian, Jesus is praying for you.
1: After Jesus finished saying this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that the Son may give glory to you. For you gave him authority over all people, so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. And eternal life means to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have shown your glory on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Father, give me glory in your presence now, the same glory I had with you before the world was made. I have made you known to those you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word, and now they know that everything you gave me comes from you. I gave them the message that you gave me, and they received it. They know that it is true that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you gave me, for they belong to you. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and my glory is shown through them and now I am coming to you I am no longer in the world but they are in the world Holy Father keep them safe by the power of your name the name you gave me so that they may be one just as you and I are one While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them, and not one of them was lost, except the man who was bound to be lost, so that the scripture might come true. And now I am coming to you, and I say these things in the world, so that they might have my joy in their hearts in all its fullness. I gave them your message, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to them. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. But I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. Just as I do not belong to the world, they do not belong to the world. Dedicate them to yourself by means of the truth. Your word is truth. I sent them into the world just as you sent me into the world. And for their sake, I dedicate myself to you in order that they, too, may be truly dedicated to you. I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their message. I pray that they may all be one. Father, may they be in us, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. I gave them the same glory you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be completely one, in order that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as you love me. Father, you have given them to me, and I want them to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me. For you loved me before the world was made. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you sent me. I made you known to them. And I will continue to do so in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And so that I also may be in them.
0: So that's a lot to take in. So we're going to spend a few minutes digging in a little bit more. here's what I hope we'll take away from today. Jesus wants us to live for the glory of God and the good of others. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. Throughout his time on earth, Jesus prayed a lot. And not many of his prayers are actually recorded. but, But scripture makes it clear that either right before or right after a big ministry event, he often withdrew and had a conversation with his father. But even when he withdrew, his disciples were usually with him, listening in on this divine communication like they are here. Jesus definitely wanted his disciples to hear this prayer, But keep in mind the context here. In a few minutes, Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, abandoned, denied, beaten, and killed. He knows all of this is coming, but he only makes one request for himself. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Now, if I knew that this was coming, you know what my prayer would be? God, get me out of here. Thwart my enemies. Crush these guys. Do whatever it takes so that I don't have to go through this horrible experience. But Jesus prays for glory. Now, the word glory or glorify appears hundreds of times in Scripture. In this prayer alone, Jesus says it nine times, so we should probably know what it actually means. The New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word for glory is doxa, D-O-X-A. It simply means God's splendor and magnificence. Theologian G.B. Card or Caird, says that God's glory is his own essential worth, greatness, power, majesty, everything in him which calls forth man's adoring reverence. Now in the Old Testament, there were sometimes physical manifestations of God's glory. You know, a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night or, or smoke would fill the temple at the dedication of the temple. In the New Testament, the glory of God was mostly displayed in Jesus himself. Jesus glorified God. To glorify God means to reveal to people who God really is so that they will honor him and give him the praise that he deserves. Jesus revealed the character and the nature of God by performing miracles and and by just displaying profound wisdom and by his obedience he showed people he gave them a glimpse of how amazing and awesome the father was look at verse four i brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do Simply by the incarnation, by taking on human flesh and living among us, Jesus glorified the Father. But the ultimate act of bringing him glory was on the cross. Jesus glorified God with his life and even more so in his death. But how are we supposed to glorify him? Hmm. Good question. Even more than glory, the word that's repeated the most in this prayer is world. Now, the implied meaning of world is it's the, the ordered world, the domain for humanity created by God. But because of sin, it's now a disordered world, right? It's, it's in rebellion against God. It, it, it's characterized by pride and idolatry. Many times in Scripture, world refers to a spiritual domain of ignorance and cynicism, of darkness and unbelief, a place where God is not known and not loved and often has the opposite values of God's kingdom. But we also know that that God loved the world so much that he died for the world. And the Bible also tells us that somehow we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. How are we supposed to do that? Again, good question. Now remember, this prayer contains some of Jesus' last words and and reveals his priorities. And so we've got to understand what he wants for us and what he wants from us. Well, Jesus wants us to live for the glory of God and the good of others. And by the end of our time together, I I think we'll see that Jesus answers both of these questions. How do we glorify God and how do we interact with the world for the good of others? So Jesus briefly prays for himself, but his main task is, is to pray for his disciples and ultimately for us. And as Jesus prays for us, he asks the Father for three things. First, to protect us with his power. He asks the Father to protect us with his power. Look at verse 11. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. Like a shepherd watching over his sheep, Jesus had protected his disciples, but he knew that he was about to depart. And so he handed them over to the protection of the Father. He says, protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me. To speak in the name of someone or something is to invoke their authority. You ever watch old-timey cop movies when the guy's about to make an arrest and he says, stop in the name of the law. Right? He's invoking the authority of the law. Now we pray in Jesus' name as a way of invoking power because there is power in the name of Jesus. His name, Yeshua, means to rescue, to deliver there is power in his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the name above all names. We just sang the demons run and flee at the mention of your name, King of majesty. So Jesus prays for his disciples' protection, that they'll experience this Protection by the power of God, the power of his name. But what do they need protection from? From the world? Kinda. Back in chapter 16, Jesus warned his disciples about the hatred and hostility that they'd see in the world. But in this prayer, he's not asking, Father, remove them from all the danger and place them in a nice, safe bunker where they can listen to Chris Tomlin music and, and watch Kirk Cameron movies all day long. Quite the opposite. Verse 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus knew that his followers faced hard times ahead, that they were in for a battle. But the battle wasn't against flesh and blood because the world is not our enemy. Our battle isn't against people. The the enemy isn't Al-Qaeda or Antifa or any other flavor of the month bad guy. Our enemy is Satan. And as we remain in the world, the evil one will keep taking shots at us But Proverbs says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So we don't need to be afraid. We have nothing to fear. We can't take a posture of fear and retreat, but we also can't take a posture of anger and attack. We're to keep representing Jesus to the world with an attitude of joy. Verse 13, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. In the midst of the chaos of this world, just how much joy are you experiencing? How joyful are you? Now, not only does Jesus pray for our protection, he also asks the Father to sanctify us by his truth. Now, this was low-hanging fruit. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay, churchy word alert. Sanctify. What, What does that mean? Well, to sanctify means to make holy or set apart. The process of sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus in our character and our conduct. Well, How does this happen? Well, this might sound like a cliche Sunday school answer, but it doesn't mean it's the wrong answer. In order to live in the world, but not take on the values and patterns of the world, we need transformation. We need holiness, not self-righteousness, but real God-produced holiness. And that comes primarily from the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know or then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Far too often, I think and I act the way the world does. In how I treat my wife and my kids. In how I handle stress and conflict. In how I react to the state of our culture. Because I'm, I'm way too busy spending time like reading my news feed or watching Netflix or whatever and I'm not being changed by the truth of God's word. I'm not being transformed. Too often I'm not thinking like a Christian. I'm not allowing God to sanctify me. Church leaders all over the place tend to complain about the level of biblical illiteracy in America. A recent Barna study found that over half of American adults hold a high view of Scripture. That's good news. Uh, And around that same percentage of people, around half, are considered Bible users, meaning that they engage with Scripture on their own outside of a church service. Okay, that's good news too. (laughs) But, But here's the kicker. Barna defines Bible users as individuals who read, listen to, or pray with the Bible on their own at least, get this, three or four times a year. That is a low bar. Folks, if we're serious about walking with Jesus, if we really want to know him and be changed by him, we need to engage with the truth of his word more than three or four times a year. Because reading the Bible isn't just about gaining knowledge. It's about being with God. It's about intimacy. The same level of intimacy that Jesus has with the Father is what he wants to have with you. Life with God is one where we know him more and more, experiencing his grace and truth, seeing the fruit of the Spirit ripen in our lives. But this can't happen without carving out intentional, consistent time with him. Every morning on my commute, I've been listening to a a devotional called With God Daily. It, It challenges me and it helps me connect scripture to relevant cultural issues it gives me something to wrestle with in my head and my heart for the rest of the day. And it's slowly using God's word to transform me, to change the way I think, to sanctify me. As we spend intimate time with God, his holiness should permeate us. It should set us apart. It should make us different. It should make people take notice that there's something not quite the same about us, something that they want. See, the the point of sanctification isn't to be a better person. It's to be set apart for a purpose, for a task. It's to daily experience God's transformational power and be more aligned with God's tremendous purpose. There's an element of equipping, of being prepared for mission, in the next verse, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He protects us and he sanctifies us so he can send us. To be sent to the world, to be in the world but not of the world, we need a transformed life. We need discernment about how to engage with culture while maintaining our integrity and, and, and being obedient to God. But we can't do it alone. And that brings us to the last point. Jesus also asks the Father to unite us for his mission. Verse 21, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. Now more than ever in my lifetime, the United States is more like the divided states. We live in a world of hostility and outrage, of fear and hatred, of intense pain and injustice, of agenda-driven deception and hypocrisy, of tribalism and factions. And instead of being countercultural, the church looks just as bad as the culture does instead of being salt and light by selflessly serving people the way Jesus did, we've taken a posture of defensiveness and judgment and condemnation, pursuing political power in order to win the culture war and ensure that our rights are being upheld. I don't see that in scripture. Christians nationwide and right here Are divided. We're divided over masks and vaccines, we're divided over race and gender, and this division is doing damage. Last month the Southern Baptist Convention, the the largest Protestant denomination in the country, made headlines for all the wrong reasons. They were reeling over allegations of covering up abuse and condoning systemic evil. One faction literally came to the SBC national meetings carrying pirate flags, pledging to take the ship. Well, they failed. And and it looks like the SBC might be back on track maybe. Uh, But the damage of disunity has already been done. Because you know what they weren't talking about in the midst of this division and turmoil? The love of Jesus. Their mess distracted them from the mission, and it created one more obstacle to the world knowing Jesus. Now contrast that with stories all throughout church history of of Christians demonstrating sacrificial love and seeing God do incredible things. When writing about the first few centuries of church history, the secular historian E.R. Dobbs said this, the genuine love and unity among Christians was perhaps the strongest single cause of the spread of Christianity. Unity is powerful. But unity isn't just about believing the same doctrine. It's unity in purpose. It's sharing life together, pursuing the Lord together. It's loving one another well, living for the good of others. And this type of living is attractive. It causes people to want to be part of something they can't really explain, something bigger than themselves. But this unity can't just be mustered up. It can't be accomplished by just trying harder. No, it's grounded in a real relationship with the triune God, in intimacy with the Father, made possible through the Son, and lived out by the power of the Spirit. Guys, unity isn't just a nice peripheral add-on. It's not just a cherry on top. It is essential. It's how the world will know Jesus. Verse 23, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. If you're new to Central, uh, you might not know that we recently changed our mission statement. We wanted something that was simple, that reflected the heart of God. And after studying this final prayer of Jesus over the last week, I'm more convinced than ever that we made the right call. Here it is. Here's our mission statement. Central Church exists to help you share the love of Jesus with your relational world. Guys, as you experience the power of a united community and the holiness and love of Jesus, you'll want to share his love with the people in your sphere of influence. But there's not a ton of pressure on you because you're not responsible for reaching the whole world. You're just responsible for reaching your world. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking this prayer of Jesus isn't for me because you're not a Christian. You've never experienced the love of Jesus for yourself. In verse three of this prayer, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing Jesus isn't just a ticket to heaven, it's the key to a life of joy and peace right here and now. But knowing Jesus isn't just intellectual ascent. It's not just head knowledge. Not at all. It's about experiencing intimacy and obedience and repentance and love. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And if you want to find out more about what it means to know Jesus and have eternal life, go ahead and mark that on your communication card. Or, or you can text it. Text Start with Jesus to 855 221 4567. If you do either one of those things, uh, one of our staff will get in touch with you. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. We're going to end our time where we started by by talking about God's glory which is the why behind this entire prayer. A famous church document from the 1600s still used today says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him Forever, So the purpose of humanity, the reason why people exist on this planet is to glorify God. That seems pretty simple, but how? How do we glorify Him? By living out the priorities that Jesus lays out in this prayer. By our, our personal holiness, our church-wide unity, by sacrificial love, knowing that we're protected and cherished by God with the same love he has for Jesus. See, Jesus glorified the Father and we can glorify Jesus in the same way by tangibly sharing the love of Jesus with this world, by laying down our lives, our rights, our agenda, our preferences, our opinions, setting that aside and doing what pleases him protected sanctified and united a-, a long time ago i heard this explanation about what it means to glorify god and it stuck with me until now uh, a crew staff woman holly sheldon said this to glorify god is to enhance his reputation she went on to explain that that god never changes but how people view him totally changes And because we are Christ's ambassadors, we represent Him to the world and sometimes we represent Him poorly. Sometimes our belligerent attitudes and actions, our our petty infighting, our selfishness can damage God's reputation. But when we're experiencing intimacy with the Father, when we're living a life of repentance and faith, letting him lead us moment by moment and being changed by him, living in unity with other believers, we enhance his reputation. We glorify him. I wanna close this morning by singing this chorus that I learned as a kid. It's really simple and I think it sums things up really well. It's just, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Let's stand and sing that together. this morning I want to apologize for that uh, on your way out the door be sure to drop your communication card any offering in uh, the boxes if you're a woman stop by the woven table if you're a member stop by the, the tables out in Grand Central so you can vote to ratify uh, new board members and for the, for the rest of us for everyone else I want to leave you with this may God be glorified in your life as you live for the good of others. Have a great week.